Well, for our communion meditation, please open up to uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we will just be reading uh, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter. Whoops, that was Second Peter. Let's go back to First Peter, sorry. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Well, if you're like me, you tend to skim over introductions to books. You want to get straight to the meat. Yet there's often so much good information in the introductions, and I think for this one, there's quite a bit that's applicable for our communion today. So let's go through it. First of all, we see that Peter is an apostle. An apostle is the highest Christian office. 1 Corinthians 12:28 says, And God has appointed these in the church first apostles. And he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, a friend and student of his teaching for about three years, a recipient of his grace, and in many times in his failings, and a dispenser of his grace by the word given to Peter. So Peter proclaims who he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But who is this? Apostle Peter writing to. We read, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now the term pilgrims is important here. They are pilgrims in a foreign land, sojourning in hostile territory, going through various trials, looking forward to another ultimate destination. This pilgrimage is a main theme of the book of of Peter, as as you probably know. These five places and their corresponding churches mentioned, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all of these are in modern-day Turkey. Now, if you have ever been sojourning in a foreign land, and I can think of um, Gary and Africa, or I can No, Phil in Africa, or Gary in Japan, or Rodney in California. All these hostile lands with strange people. If you're sojourning in a remote place, it's great to get a letter. And for the letter to be addressed not only to you, but to to others who are sharing in your isolation and in your trials is a great encouragement. The realization is that we are not alone in this. Now, these pilgrims scattered about are called something very interesting. They're called elect. Now, our catechism today alluded to the doctrine of election. They are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Also, the way it is written, they are elect as congregations in these regions according to the foreknowledge of God. 
Peter addresses them as elect corporately. Later in the book, he will call them a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. But why would he call them elect, especially in a greeting? Why not just say fellow believers? Well, by calling them elect, Peter is giving them a reminder of their identity and therefore an encouragement to persevere. He tells them who they are and therefore how they should live. You can see there in uh, verse 15. Be, oh, sorry, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Or in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Holy Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Or fervently with a pure heart. Also, by way of encouragement, there's a great amount in this book about the benefits of being elect. Now, just a quick point on Peter calling them elect as a corporate group. Peter, in calling these congregations elect according to the foreknowledge of God, he is not saying that each and every one of them is automatically saved. We know this because elsewhere in the book he's giving conditions or warnings of what it is to not be elect. And you can read some of those in chapter 2. For example, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. See the condition there? Skip down to um, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and the stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were all appointed. So why, while he calls them elect corporately, and in fact even presumes their election, he warns them to be obedient to the call of the gospel. Now this idea of presumptive election is the way that we look at the church. That's the way we speak about ourselves. That's the way we proclaim it from the pulpit. It's also the way that we speak of our, about our children. Based upon the promises of God, we believe our children to be elect. We presume election for our children. Now, we do not presume regeneration. We do not know when the Lord is going to save our children, but we believe he will. In fact, it's okay to pray that the Lord would save our children even in the womb. He can do that. Remember that it was Peter, the author of this, who gives us this promise in Acts chapter 2. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call. So Peter brings the doctrine of election here at the beginning and throughout this book to encourage them. And you know, Calvin also believed that the doctrine of election had a primary purpose of encouraging and providing comfort. He writes, We shall never feel persuaded, as we ought, that our salvation flows from the free mercy of God as its fountain until we are made acquainted with his eternal election. Now let's look at the rest of verse 2. You, can you see a foundational doctrine here? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit 
for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Trinity here is so beautifully put forth, you can almost easily miss it. Now, all of the pilgrims, all of these elect pilgrims are linked to those things. The foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification that comes from the Spirit, and the sprinkling or the sacrificial purification and atonement that comes by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful way to put forth the functional aspect of the Trinity right up front. And lastly, Peter winds up this introduction with a call, which is a blessing, really, by declaring God's grace and peace upon them before they are instructed. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now, we do the same here in our worship service. The elders uh, will proclaim um, grace and peace to us. It's a greeting, and it's a prayer, and it's a very good reminder that grace comes to us first. One application of today's um, reading here for communion, I just want to say a couple things. First of all, we are enjoying communion with those who are sojourning all across the world, with those who are still sojourning, and we're also communing with the church triumphant, those sojourners that have passed on. As we all look to Christ in our communion. Second, we commune with those three persons who are in constant, perfect communion. In fact, it is because of those three things listed here, the election of the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ that makes our communion possible today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you bring to us as pilgrims and as elect pilgrims. We praise you for your election and all the blessings and the responsibilities that come with it. We thank you for allowing us to commune with you today, the triune, perfect God. Oh, Lord, may your grace and peace be multiplied to us today. In Christ's name, amen.